All right, I got a message for you today as part of our Prayers That Move Heaven series, and I'm calling it Shamelessly Audacious. Now, I don't know if your household is like my household, probably is, but I find that when Darcy and I are at home, quite often, if one of us is at the other end of the house, we just yell. And now it's not a very big house, we don't need to yell that loud, but I'll be like, Darcy! No response. I'm at the nerve of her. What could she be doing? And so I just go a bit louder this time, like she's going to hear me this time. Darcy! Nothing. And now it's bordering on frustration, but I check my heart and I'm like, she must be doing something. (laughs) But this time I'm gearing up. This time I'm like, she shall hear me. And I'm thinking about what the neighbor under us is going to think, but I don't really care. Like I'm committed to this. And this is the moment, and you know what it's like. This is the moment where every syllable gets emphasized and every syllable gets its own breath. And I'm like, Darcy! I'm like going for it. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, why didn't you answer me earlier? She's like, I was just doing something. So I thought I'd respond to you soon. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you made me wind up. Old Linda below us is going to think, what's going on up there with the pastors? You put me in that position. I don't know if you've ever found yourself really frustrated when you weren't being answered. If you're a parent, you have certainly been on the non-answering end of that. You know how it goes. Mum, 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 mum. And you hear them, but mum, mum. And then comes the blood curling. Mum! <laughs> and it's not that you didn't hear It's not that you didn't care. It's just in your parental judgment, you concluded that the answer was not as urgent as perhaps your child thought it was. And yet a a point comes, right, where the urgency and the persistence puts you in a position where you have to give an answer and you have to tend to their needs. We teach kids that this is kind of rude and disrespectful to be like that. and, And in one sense it is, but I wonder if there's something to it. I wonder if there's something to be said about not giving up. As I think back on my years as a Christian and even the years before I made that decision as a 20-year-old, I realize I've, I've prayed a lot. And that's not a boast. I've, I've prayed a lot of times over those years, but I also realize a lot of the times I've prayed, I've done so in a way that is different from how God instructed me to. I've prayed prayers like this. God, if I'm meant to bless this person, then you need to let me know. No, nothing. All right, I'm off to the shops. And I move on. God, I prayed. I did my part. Where are you in all of this? I say, God, I pray that you would heal my sore ankle. In Jesus' name, amen. Ankle still sore. And then I'm like, well, I guess it's just not God's timing. Maybe you've done that sort of thing as well. I say, God, I pray that you would bring my friend into church, that you would radically impact their life and they would give their life to you. And so I go to my friend, hey, do you want to come to church? They're like, nah, not my thing but thanks for the invite. And I'm like, God, that one's on you. I prayed, I asked, and nothing happened. So if you could just remember that prayer for the future, that would be awesome. Don't we do this? We think we can put our prayers on automatic payment. Like we set it up, we set it in motion, and from there, God, you know what I want. Like I don't need to keep manually doing it every time. You've heard my prayer, you know my heart, God. If you could just remember that for the future, that would be nice. We're going to take a look at the book of Luke, and this is going to be the main passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 11. And if you've got a smartphone, you can get the Elam app, select Papakura as your campus, and then the notes will be right there. That's smart, hey? How good is that? Um, Or you can just write it down in your journal like Eugen. How good is she? What a legend. Luke chapter 11 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. It's interesting that in this passage of Scripture, when the disciples asked how they should pray and for Jesus to teach them, he gives a quick summary of the Lord's Prayer. Now, we can read the entire Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but I love in this moment, he just kind of gives us a highlight reel. You know, you know how it goes, um, do this, do this, do this, and he only gives us a portion of it. So when being asked how to pray... Jesus says, you know the drill, pray the Lord's Prayer, but then he suggests this new idea. He brings this other idea right to the forefront of their focus. The scripture continues. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. I read, laugh, that's awesome. Like, whether you do or don't, but just suppose that you do. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Again, I imagine stories as they're unfolding. I'm like, this is hilarious. What is he like lying in bed, screaming at his friend outside the house? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> We're in bed and the door's locked. It's too much. I can't help you get lost. The friend doesn't want a bar of it. But Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus highlights shameless audacity, but in a positive light. I think that's amazing. You know, when I read that story, oh, he's being a bit pushy. He's being a bit forward. He's being a bit rude. But Jesus uses this example to launch into an instruction as to how we should do the same. Jesus is saying, when you pray, keep on going until you get what you came for. I reckon the prayers that move here are the prayers that keep asking. To say, we say this though, but I knocked and I asked and I didn't receive. But this instruction that Jesus is giving us, he goes to the effort to tell a story to let us know that it's built on an example of being shamelessly audacious to persistently ask and knock. And then he continues this, and maybe you've heard this part. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Maybe you've heard that and you thought it was one knock. It was one moment of seeking. It was one ask. He says, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Rhetorical question. Of course, you wouldn't do that. If you... Then, though you are evil, thank you, Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children. Like if you know how to do it and you're by definition evil, then how much more would your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I think one of the most brilliant parts of the message that Darcy shared last week about praying that prayer, here I am, send me, was this idea that when we pray, we have to mean it. When we pray, we have to pray as if God is actually going to answer our prayer. And I want to speak this morning about what to do when you're praying and you feel like you're speaking to a brick wall. What happens when you feel like the last time you prayed got no answer and somehow you're encouraged to go again. Over summer at the start of December, Darcy and I went on a trip down to Nelson. Uh, it was lovely. Thank you for asking. And it was our, it was our first time down there. And uh, while we were down there, we ventured out to the Abel Tasman National Park. Now, before you start being like an adoration of our physical prowess, I can assure you it was a day trip. 
and I was very much committed to walking the shortest distance I possibly could. <laughs> There's other people with the big packs, and they're like, hello! I'm like, get out of my face. <laughs> You're a better human than I am. I get it. But while we were down there, we did a little bit of research, and we discovered there was this amazing beach that had this huge boulder in the ocean just out from the bay. Massive rock. And it was split right down the middle, and it was appropriately called Split Apple Rock. Anyone ever been there? i got a short photo of it. Here it is. How good? Split Apple Rock. And as I stood there on the beach, looking at this rock, I drifted away into a dream state. And I started to imagine what it would have been like to see the rock split. Like that very moment that after so long, it finally split in half and the two halves fell away from each other. I mean, it would have been an amazing moment. And I started thinking as I was sitting there looking at, I wonder if anyone was here to see that very moment. And I conclude, probably not. But it dawned on me as I watched on that the splitting of the rock was probably not an immediate moment. Now, it probably happened very quickly in the moment, but the splitting of the rock was probably just the most exciting part of a really long journey, like a game of cricket. It takes so long, and at the end, you get to celebrate that it's all over. (laughs) For years and years and years, the pressure built, and eventually what the pressure was building towards came to pass. There would have been an event that could be seen based on years of the unseen. And it may have taken hundreds of years, but eventually the stone cracked. But it was inevitably always going to crack. We can remove that photo now. That'd be awesome. Otherwise, you'll look at that and not me. (laughs) Isn't that so reminiscent of our prayer life, though? I don't know if you're the same as me, but sometimes it can feel like I'm praying. No answer. I'll go again. I'll go again. Praying. No answer. Praying for what feels like hundreds of years, and somewhere deep inside you believe that God hears, but you get tired of asking. I don't know if you were surprised as I was when I read those words of Jesus, where he instructs us to be annoying. How good is that? He says, be like the friend that turns up at midnight. Be like the friend who is willing to ask for what you need the moment that you need it. He said, be like the friend who is specific in his ask. He said, I need three loaves of bread and I need it for this reason. Be prepared to be specific in your ask of God. And he said, be like the friend who is committed to being shamelessly audacious. To say, God, there's something that I need and I'm not leaving until I get what I came for. Eventually the friend, not because of friendship, but because of shameless audacity, got up and gave the friend everything that he needed. Now, I would have thought that Jesus would have said something in a story along the lines of, well, don't worry because your Father in heaven knows what you need before you pray it. Turns out he does. Turns out in Matthew 8, that's exactly what he says. In fact, he says, don't babble on like the pagans do. Don't come up with all this fancy speech like those who are just looking to be righteous. He says, you don't need to add words to your prayer to look holy and righteous in front of other people. He says, God already knows what you want before you pray it, so you don't need to convince God with a well-worded prayer. Doesn't that lift the pressure off? That he knows what you want, but like a father listening to his child, the joy of hearing you ask for it is what he's looking for. God already knows what you needed. You don't need to convince him with a well-worded prayer. And so he's saying, look, you can ask simply, you can ask direct, but don't you stop asking until you get what you came for. I think the prayers that move heaven are the same prayers that don't move heaven. 
They're the prayers that move heaven, the prayers that move heaven are the prayers that you've been praying for days or months or years, but your persistence and audacity has finally allowed them to move the hand of God. The prayer that moves heaven is the prayer that keeps asking. It's the prayer that desperately wants to be needed and it's submitted in full, like in full submission to God. See, heaven moving prayers are persistent prayers. They are shamelessly audacious prayers. They're the prayers of yesterday, prayed today, but just with a little bit more fervor, urgency, and expectation. They're the prayers that cause a father to respond to his children. And in Jesus' response to the disciples as to how they should pray, he highlights the Lord's Prayer, which is all about acknowledging our need for God. And then he hones in on this idea to not give up asking for what you're believing for. He reminds us that God is a good God who loves to answer prayers and supply all the needs of his children. And I just have a couple of thoughts this morning that my prayer leading into today is that it would be helpful for you. If you've been praying prayers that you feel like, man, it's just like a brick wall. It just feels like no answer. It just feels like no answer. Then I want to encourage you with a few simple thoughts. And the first one is this. Number one, persist in your prayers. Persist in your prayers. Jesus uses the, two, the story of the two friends to remind us that it's okay to pray the same thing. You can just keep asking for the same thing. Persistence shows our desire. Persistence shows urgency. You know what persistence does? It shows God that we still believe He can answer our prayers. And if I'm honest, I've done well with this in some areas, and I haven't done so well in others. There's been times when I've prayed for things and I wanted God to answer them. And as I think back, I'm kind of wondering how much. I think back and I wonder if I prayed with just words or if I actually prayed with faith. Did I pray my prayer with full commitment to the idea that God actually hears my prayers? He is a good God who loves to answer prayers. Did I pray just with words or did I actually pray with faith? See, sometimes I pray for healing. And if the healing doesn't happen, I just submitted into the boat of God's will be done. And that's fine, except that I know God's will is that healing would come to people's bodies. And so maybe I just need to go again, ask again, trust God in the process, but pray again. I submitted into the boat of, I guess it's just not God's timing. And maybe it isn't. But I pray, and sometimes for me, if I'm being honest, it can feel like God gets sick of me asking the same thing. Like he's like, yes, I get it. But Jesus reminds us here that this couldn't be further from the truth. And then there are other things. Like Darcy and I praying for a baby for the last two years. I pray those prayers very different. I find myself thinking about this and praying for it constantly throughout the day. Sometimes out loud, sometimes in my spirit, but I never stop knocking on the door. And it makes sense because in Luke 6.45, it says, out of an overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It just doesn't stop oozing from my heart. And I know there are people here, you're carrying something and it's all you think about every day. And it's like a weight on your shoulders and you're just waiting for the moment. Can I remind you of God's word that what overflows from the heart comes out of the mouth? If it is coming out of your heart, keep speaking it out. He is not sick of hearing it. He has heard your prayer. Your time will come. Just keep declaring it out because out of an overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our persistence shows our heart. Now, the story goes that there was an elderly lady that was once approached by a young man who was described to be growing weary in the fight. He had had enough. He felt like giving up. He says, I feel beaten every time. He said, filled with sorrow, I feel I must give up. Did you ever notice? said the older lady. 
that when the Lord dis- that when the Lord told the discouraged fishermen to cast their nets again, he did so in the place that they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. Now, I'm no fisherman. In fact, I am a lousy one. But I think sometimes the catch is less dependent on the spot and more dependent on the timing. That story that she's speaking about comes at us from John 21. And in that story, you've got a guy named Simon who decides that he's going to go fishing. And he makes an announcement, I shall go fishing. And the other disciples are like, we're going to come with you. And so they all jump onto the boat and they head out into the ocean. And despite their expectation, despite all the skills that they have, despite their genuine need for fish, they catch nothing. All night, they catch nothing. Well, morning rolls around and Jesus is standing there on the beach and Jesus yells out at them. He says, did you catch any fish? Sometimes you feel like Jesus is bullying because he knows. <laughs> Did you get what you came for? Did you get what you need? And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, I want you to throw out your net again on the right-hand side of your boat, and this time you'll catch some. You know what's fascinating? That they just did what Jesus said. They weren't like, <laughs> we're the fishermen you're a carpenter, and we haven't even seen you build anything. Awkward. Um, don't tell us how to do our job. They didn't do this one, which I felt like I might have had I been in this situation. Jesus, it's a nice idea, but we've been trying all night. We've gone again and again. We've thrown our net out hundreds of times. What is the point in wasting our time going again? See, the efforts had been fruitless. But Jesus speaks to them and he says, don't let the discouragement stop you. Throw out the net again. Ignore the discouragement. Believe again. This might be the one. They throw out their net on the right-hand side of the boat. And the Bible says that they catch so much, they can't even pull it into the boat. I love that God provides and he gives us even more and even better than what we anticipate. And I don't know what you've been praying for. I don't know if you feel like the nets have been coming in empty, but throw it out again. Don't give up. You may not have seen the result yet, but you can keep on asking the same thing. But maybe this time just get a little bit more pep in your step. Maybe this time lean in a little bit further. This time lift your faith a little bit more to go, yeah, I may have asked it a hundred times, but this time I know God hears me again and I trust Him in the process. Pray like you need it, not just like you want it. You know, reflective, quiet prayer is amazing. And there is certainly a place for that. But can I be honest, church? Sometimes we just need to get a bit rocked up, like we do. There is a place for both of these. Sometimes we need to just get a bit rocked up. Sometimes we need to just declare things and lift our faith. It's not that a loud voice moves the hand of God, but the faith that arises within us when we make a declaration, that does. The faith that comes from us when we get a bit fired up and say, God, you said you would, and I'm still waiting on my prayer. I'm standing on your promises. I'm a quiet person. That's cool. Why don't you get a little louder? Not because God is bullied into doing what you say, but sometimes when we just get a bit rocked up in our spirit, it lifts our faith, and that does make a difference. Jesus calls us to be shamelessly audacious when we go before God, to go boldly before the throne room of grace. He is not put off by your persistence. In fact, it catches his attention. It's good to keep praying the same prayers. The second thing is this, uh, trust in his timing. Persist in your prayers, trust in His timing. You know, I think one of the hardest things of living a life of faith, and you probably agree with me, is that you're not in control. That's the worst, isn't it? You relinquish control. 
But that's also the point, isn't it? That we wouldn't be in control, yet we could somehow, by the grace of God, carry a peace and an assurance because we know that a good God is. And if you've been in church even just a little while, you may have heard someone say something along the lines of, God's timing is perfect. Trust in God's timing. And that's good advice. But again, can we be really real this morning? As much as that is true, how many people know that knowing that doesn't always make it easier to deal with the pain and the disappointment of an unanswered prayer? You know it, and you know it to be true, but let's not pretend that things are not the way that they are. It can still be really difficult. You know, so often in my life, I've only been able to appreciate God's timing after the fact. In hindsight, when I look back and I realize actually God always knew better than I did and he saw more of the picture. And that's fine, but the truth is some things can be really, really hard. Like praying for the salvation of a spouse or a child. Praying for, the heal- for healing in your body or the body of a loved one. Praying for reconciliation and restoration in a broken down relationship. Or maybe for you, like it has been for us, it's praying for the gift of a child. And some of these things are really tricky. And church, I don't have an answer for them. Except to remind you that God is good. He really is. Even when it doesn't feel like it, He sees your pain. He's with you in it. And He wants to bring you comfort. He can be trusted. God never promised that there wouldn't be pain in this life. But He did promise us peace and comfort in amidst it. And that's why living a life of the, for the God of the Bible was so breathtakingly beautiful. There's often a bigger picture at play that we're, not, we're unable to see. And there's more going on than we realize, but the one who can be trusted is the one that can see it all. You know, between the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, there's about 400 years. And this period of time is known as the 400 years of silence. It was 400 years where no more scripture was recorded. 400 years where there were no more words from God, no prophetic warnings. 400 years that would have felt like unanswered prayers. That's a long time. Undoubtedly a season of disappointment, discouragement, and frustration. And yet God was working behind the scenes. God is always working even when we can't see it. In that 400-year gap, you know what was happening? Roads were being built and the Roman Empire was being established so that the gospel message could spread quickly throughout the world. God knew exactly what he was doing. If the Messiah, if Jesus had to come earlier, then the message might not have spread like it did and it might not have reached the world like it did. God always knew what he was doing. And maybe, just maybe, a season of silence could just be a season of preparation. That I can't make sense of it but I know God can be trusted and he makes sense of it all. Keys, you can join me. There's this really famous story in the Bible and I never want to assume that you've heard every story in the Bible, but it's one of the most famous ones where Jesus turns water into wine. And um, I think it's John chapter two. John chapter two. Uh, It says this, it says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother, Mary, she was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, he said, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. So Mary suggests that Jesus do something about the problem, and he is clear that his time has not yet come. 
The timing is wrong. I, I get that you're asking me, mum, but I'm not your guy right now. This is not the plan. The timing is wrong. You know, Jesus hasn't performed a miracle at this point. This becomes his first miracle. And for most of us hearing that from Jesus, we would have said, oh, yeah, okay then. And we would have turned around and we would have walked away feeling disappointed. But Mary seems to know something that we don't hear. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jerus ceremonial washing, big jars. Each could hold 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. It's just the MC, like what Darcy was today. That's what MC stands for. There you go. You learn something new every day. Take it to the MC. And when he tasted it, the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Okay, hang on. I thought Jesus just told Mary that the timing was wrong. And then moments later, he responds to this request. Moments later, Jesus performs the very first miracle he's ever performed, restoring the wine reserves just as Mary suggested. It continues, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, they bring out the least expensive wine because everyone's had too much and it all just tastes the same at that point. It's what he's trying to say. But you did something different. You've kept the best until now. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that keeps the best until now. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that doesn't give us the best and from there it only gets worse and we have to deal with it. But a God that we can confidently stand and say, our greatest days are ahead of us, not behind us. We can say that every day of our life and yet it's always true. This miracle, miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. This is incredible. You have someone that brings their request to Jesus and she's told that the timing is all wrong, but she doesn't walk away defeated. She doesn't give up. She tells the servants to do whatever Jesus says because she's still got faith that something might happen. Mary is somehow able to reach into the future, grab a future miracle and pull it right into the present. I don't know if persuaded is the right word, but Jesus was persuaded to change the timing of a miracle. God's timing is perfect, and yet He can still alter things and work them out perfectly. About two years ago, Darcy and I, we decided that we were ready to start trying to start, right, like, you know, have a family. We'd spent so much of our life at this point pouring into a youth ministry that took every second of our time and seconds we didn't have. We began trying and we thought, this is going to be smooth sailing. Within a couple of months, we're going to get the news that Darcy is pregnant. It was something that we knew was both a promise from God. We both felt that and it was something that neither of us second guessed. Not for a moment, not us. And yet as many of you know, that is not how it worked out. We were probably a bit guilty of taking it to God a bit late, only when we realized it was a problem. We all do that, don't we? We've all got it under control until we don't. <laughs> and then we say, oh yeah, God help. Church, we believe in prayer. It is not this man-made idea where we self-talk ourselves, but we believe we speak to the God of heaven. And so we began praying. 
that God would make a way and He would give us the gift of a baby. But despite our prayers, each month rolled around with mixed emotions, extreme disappointment and heartache, and yet a lingering hope that we serve a God who hears our prayers. Many times I would lean over to Darcy and just remind her as she lay there in tears, our time will come. And never once have I doubted that, but that doesn't mean it's been easy. We've seen many people come and celebrate the arrival of their little one, and we have genuinely celebrated with them because when one of us wins, we all win. When one of us wins, when I see someone else win, it reminds me that I can win too and that God still does what God said He would do. I don't know if I've ever wanted something so badly, and I know that God knows this. I pray for it every day. I'm like the friend that turns up at midnight, telling God what I need the moment that I need it. I'm convinced in that story that that had to be the first midnight Macca's run. It was. I'm comforted in the fact that Jesus instructs us to be shamelessly audacious, to keep on asking, to say, say, God, you said you would. God, remember us. God, I'm not leaving until we get what we came for. And so even though the prayer has been pretty much the same thing, we've just kept on praying it, been persistent in our prayers and trusting in His timing. We know that God is good. We know that He hears our prayers and we've always known that our time would come. I've just got a little bit more of our story to show you in a short video on the screen. Luckily, COVID's over and we can hug, eh? <laughs> God is so good. God is so good. And we're so thankful for every person who has been praying and journeying this with us. We know because we've walked this journey that if you're in the same boat, it's not always easy to see somebody else announce their joy. But we've always stood by the fact that the confetti that we carry, it's not just for us, it's for other people too. And one of the best things we learned on this journey was to celebrate others when they win. Because their win takes nothing away from yours. When somebody else gets healed, it takes nothing away from your healing. When somebody else gets a house, it takes nothing away from your future home. When somebody else finds their spouse, it takes nothing away from your future marriage. And that was one of the best things we learned. And so, yes, we are having a baby. <laughs> Coming in late August. But we know that this, this is a moment where we can actually stand with you guys that are still praying the same prayers. If you've been praying a prayer for a long time, maybe several months, maybe several years, maybe several decades, it doesn't just have to be for a baby. But if you're praying 
for a job, for a spouse, for a house, for, for your visa, for whatever it is that you've been praying for healing. We actually, we want to pray for y'all right now because we feel like God is here with us right now and he has answered our prayer, but we know and we declare that God's promise is for you too. And so Frosty's going to pray for those people and we might invite you forward. <laughs> 